Well, good morning, Ignite Church. How are you guys doing today? Good morning. So glad that you're here. Going to start out uh, just kind of telling you a little, little story. I, uh, a number of years ago now, probably maybe a decade ago or something like that, I was encouraged uh, by a guy that was mentoring me to kind of write out my life story. <laughs> One of those kind of things that you're like, uh, why? But he was like, no, I just want you to trust me. I want you to go through the process and kind of go through uh, your, your life story, kind of write it out, and then, and then kind of sit back and look at some trends, look at some of your strengths, some of your weaknesses, some of where God's taking you, how he's made you, uh, and maybe some things you need to do to prepare for ca- what, what the kinds of things that God might have in store for you in the future. And so I went through and I wrote this whole thing out. And if anybody ever wants a, you know, like a 50-page autobiography, <laughs> I'm kidding. But, but anyway, yeah, 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 no autographs, please. But <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But went through the process. And it was actually, it was really a perspective bringing. It was a helpful kind of uh, exercise. But one of the things that, that uh, struck me as I wrote, wrote in, as I kind of thought through my life and thought through the times in my life that were transformational, the ways, uh, the times when I grew the most, the times, uh, the time that I came to Christ and the time that uh, there was like the biggest kind of breakthroughs in my life. All of them were in the, in the context of community. All of those, all of those moments, all of those times in my life were in the context of relationship with other Christ followers around me. It was those times when I experienced uh, breakthrough and life change and healing in my own heart. I, I started to realize there are names and there are faces etched in my memory of people that had had that kind of impact on my own life. I mean, one of the one of the first names uh, that, that comes to mind for me is a person I've shared uh, lots before about about her, but this person by the name of Jenny Morse, right? A, a person that came uh, my freshman year of college and, unbeknownst to us at the time, sort of adopted our entire. Uh, the freshman uh, guy's dorm, uh, the floor on our, our freshman dorm, and kind of he, she brought a bunch of girls from her dorm over, kind of started building relationships. Within a couple of weeks, we were all best friends, and we, I mean, we, we ate together pretty much every meal. Uh, we'd go to the movies together on the weekends. We'd take road trips together. Um, Eventually, we'd have Bible study together. We prayed for each other, and we'd just hang out. We'd, we'd do stuff like uh, hop in a couple cars, probably not, you know, probably too few to be legal, but that's, we'd hop in a couple cars, like 30 of us, we'd, we'd drive to this place way out in the middle of nowhere, and we would, we'd do stargazing, like, the whole night, and just sit there out in this YMCA camp by Boone, Iowa, and we'd talk the whole night, and, we'd, and in the midst of it, we'd end up sharing our lives, we'd share some of our hopes, our dreams, some of our struggles, uh, that kind of stuff, and it, we, we became this kind of tight-knit family. Uh, in fact, some of the, these people have been here to this church and shared before. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember, Brian Johnson uh, came and taught on uh, the Bible and science and evolution and some of that kind of stuff a couple of times. Well, he's, he was in that crew, uh, but I look back and I just think, man, if it wasn't for her coming and the kind of community and invitation that she created around her, just like, come be a part. If it wasn't for that kind of family, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be a Christ follower. That, that season, those, those relationships, those people changed my entire life. It changed the, the course of my destiny. The, the course of my eternity is different because of the community, the relationships that got formed in that era. A number of years later, I remember being a part of a, a group of five guys, and uh, 
God just sort of brought us together as a random hodgepodge of, of uh, young men, but we all had a passion for Jesus, a passion for ministry, and, uh, and so we started meeting together once a week, and then we were so hungry to be together and to, to, to live life together. We started meeting twice a week, and, and we'd meet together. We would worship. I'd bring my guitar, and we would uh, sit and worship until 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. We'd pray together. We'd kind of prepare Bible studies and share with one another, uh, and sometimes we'd just share life uh, together. It's, it's a group of guys, uh, I've, uh, it was, it was transformational. Pro- one of the times probably I grew the most in my entire life was there. It was there that I, I started realizing I didn't really know what love is before that time. I'm like, these guys loved me with a kind of unconditional love I was unaccustomed to. These guys, even when I screwed up, even on my worst days, they were committed to me and they were present and, and faithful and they wanted what's best for me. Sometimes even when they put the smack down on me, right? When they'd be like, dude, you got your head in the sand, right? This is, this is the, you're heading in the wrong direction. You need to do a 180 and head back the other thing. Even, even if I might be a little ticked at them, like, well, where do you get off? You know, blah, 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 blah. I knew they had my back. I knew they had my best interest at heart. It was a transformational season for me. It changed what I looked for in a wife even because I, all of a sudden I'm like, I, f- I think I, I know what love is for the first time in my life. And I'm like, I want to experience this kind of love and this kind of relationship with my wife uh, in the future kind of thing. Transformational moment. But I'm, I got a, uh, an email from one of these guys, a a couple of years back, wanted to, we started to encourage us to get together for like a reunion of sorts of the five, right? The five guys. And I'm going to share a little glimpse of this email with you, a little piece of it, because uh, I think it'll give you an insight. It'll give you an idea of the kind of relationships uh, that we had with one another and, and kind of what God did in us in the midst of, listen to this. It's from a, a friend of mine named Bo. And this is, I'm going to jump in in the middle. So stick with me here. It says, he says this, I wanted just to say, Uh, What I wanted to say was that I feel incredibly fortunate to have seen God use all those hours at Central College together, all those times with you guys to not only save me for myself, but allow me to see glimpses of Christ in a band of brothers. He said, this will sound sentimental primarily because it's reflective, but also because every so often I wonder what would have happened to me if I wouldn't have met you guys. What would have happened to me if I had not had Tom Ager as a roommate or Tim Lumens as a sweet mate? He said, Russ, uh, you and I even painted a house together one summer. Remember that? He says, and Kevin opened up his home in Pella, uh, his, his connections in Elmhurst. Anybody remember Highball, a game that we used to play, one of the best games ever? And road trips and on and on and on. He says, you get the point. He said, I'm actually attempting to, pass, to, to copy Pastor Kevin, our pastor in that era, on this email simply to say thanks for letting a band of misfits whose hearts were being worked over by the gospel stay after hours on Sunday evenings in the old building near Central's campus. I pray that in some small way we may reconnect for a time by way of reunion, that we could update one another, pray for each other, and if nothing else, simply remember that we were at one time in one place seeking God out together. And in his grace, Jesus pursued us and he gave us ministries and holds us in his hands. And there's so much more to learn as God isn't finished with us yet. As I survey the wondrous cross, he said, I'm reminded of how gracious the Prince of Glory has been to me. Grace and peace and thanks again, he says, Bo. These guys were like brothers to me, literally still are. And God changed our lives as we met together. We ended up uh, having other people around us that started seeing what God was doing in us in the midst of this group and asking if they could be a part. And so we decided we'd open up one, one of these two meetings a week to kind of anybody that wanted to come. And so we uh, opened this up 
and it went from five, five guys to about 150 people that would jam into a chapel uh, one night a week until like one or two o'clock in the morning, and we would pray for one another. We'd pray for people around us that didn't yet know Christ, and we'd worship together, and uh, there's just a hunger, right? It's contagious, right? When people start seeing those kinds of relationships, relationships saturated by Christ, you know, relationships with people where God's love is being experienced, where life change is happening. Other people want to be a part. It's contagious. It's amazing to be a part of a community like that. I'll give you one more example. I remember uh, up in Wisconsin, we lived up there. We planted a church up there. We were there for 14 years. Uh, many of you know. And God did that kind of thing again. He really knit our hearts together with a bunch of other people up there to, to help start a church and to kind of live life together. Uh, our kids grew up, some of you might, might have met Ray and Dora Leonardson is another example. They've come and helped out with Summer Blast and some different things. But our kids grew up knowing them as Uncle Ray and Aunt Dora, right? I mean, because we did life together, right? We, sh we shared our hearts together. They were for us. They encouraged us. They ended up taking us on cruises after our kids were born and we hung out with them and went on vacations together. It was an amazing uh, time, and that's just one example of many. In fact, I'm leaving this afternoon to go up and visit some of these people because they're like family to us, because our hearts are so connected, and because we got to see God do some amazing things together, and God worked in our own hearts and lives in the context, though, of relationships. And that's the way, that's what you read as you open up the pages of the Bible. You start seeing this is what it's meant to be, right? The church as God designed it, even our walk with Christ as God designed it, is made to be in the context of relationships, is made to be in the context of community. It's been transformational in my life. It's what we're always meant to experience. And yet I have to admit, if I'm honest, while I've prioritized it in some seasons of my life, there are other seasons where I've completely ignored it, where I've allowed the busyness of routine and just the pace of my life to keep me at a distance from others. Sometimes I think even just my own insecurity or my fear of rejection has, has kept me at arm's length from other Christ followers, even though my heart and soul crave deep relationships with others. There have been seasons where uh, I've just been lonely and I've settled for sort of a, a pseudo Facebook type of friendship with people rather than real deep, face-to-face, share-your-heart kinds of relationships. But I do so to my own peril. How about you? I wonder if community, if, if these kinds of relationships are what characterize your life. Or if, like most Americans, you're just sort of living life on your own, right? We kind of we drive into the driveway, we open up our garage door, we drive in, we shut the garage door, and that's it. We, we do life with ourselves and our own little family, and, and that's it. And if so, I just think, man, we are made for so much more. We are made for so much more. I wonder how many of us battle loneliness sometimes, or how many of us feel isolated from others how many of us feel like there are scores of, scores of people around us, people that we call friends? We might have 500 or 1,000 friends on Facebook, but nobody that you can call when life gets really bad when you end up in the crapper. The, the sermon is sentence, or at least the first half of it, where we're going today. When we isolate, we stagnate. But when we, and we relegate ourselves to a life of loneliness. When we isolate, we stagnate. I read this week, this is fascinating. I was unaware of this, but earlier in 2018, about a year ago now, 
Uh, loneliness had reached such epic proportions in the UK that the Prime Minister, Theresa May, literally appointed a cabinet position called the Minister of Loneliness. I kid you not. The Minister of Loneliness to the cabinet in the UK. In Japan, lonely deaths among the elderly are so frequent that it's, there's actually a word for it. And if I could try and pronounce it, but it might not probably kill it. It's something like, uh, could, I don't know, Kodakushi or something like that. But it, it's gained widespread attention about a decade and a half ago when a 70-year-old man died and his body wasn't discovered for three years wasn't discovered for three years. That's how isolated he was. He had his rent came out, was automatically deducted once a month, and nobody noticed he was dead or missing until the, the money in the bank account ran out three years later. It's so common. They have a word for it in their vocabulary now. Even here in the U.S., the, surgeon, the former Surgeon General wrote an article in the Harvard Business Review recently called Work and the Loneliness Epidemic. He writes that the most common pathology he saw as a doctor was not heart disease or cancer or diabetes. It was loneliness. He says, it has more than doubled since the, the 1980s, and well over 40% of Americans report suffering from significant levels of loneliness on a regular basis. Most experts believe that number to be actually considerably higher, but people are just reluctant to, to categorize themselves and to say out loud, I feel lonely. More than ever, people live apart from family. They live apart from friends. Loneliness can be fatal, he writes. It's worse for your health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day, and it crushes the soul. It's more dangerous than high blood pressure or a history of heart disease or on and on. I reread part of a book this week by John Ortberg called uh, Everybody's Normal Until You Get to Know Them, which is a great title for a book. But anyway, <laughs> but he, in it, he talks about this whole idea of loneliness and this whole idea of community. He says this, being in meaningful relationship is life-giving in the most literal sense. One of the most thorough research projects on relationships is called the Almeida County Study. Headed by a Harvard researcher, it tracked the lives of 7,000 people over nine years. Researchers found that the most isolated people in the group were three times more likely to die than those living with strong relational connections. Isn't that crazy? Three times more likely to die. People who had bad health habits, such as smoking or poor eating or obesity or alcohol use or whatever, but still had strong social ties, lived significantly longer than people who had uh, great health habits but were isolated. He summarizes it like this. In other words, it's better to eat Twinkies with good friends than to eat broccoli alone. Isn't that great? <laughs> Robert Putnam, another researcher, notes that if you belong to no groups and then decide to join just one group, you cut your risk of dying over the next year in half. Isn't that crazy? Another study, as reported in the Journal of American Medical Association, 276 volunteers were infected with a, with a virus that produced the common cold. The study found that people with strong, the strongest emotional connections did four times better at fighting off illness than those who were more isolated. These people were less susceptible to colds, had less virus, and produced significantly less mucus than relationally isolated subjects. He says, it's true, unfriendly people are snottier than friendly ones. <laughs> Again, I go back to sort of the big idea for the day. When we isolate, we stagnate, and we relegate ourselves to a life of loneliness. 
Without, a, without real, healthy, life-giving relationships in our lives, we shrivel up and die first internally, right? First emotionally, and in severe cases, even physically. But God has a solution to this kind of loneliness, and it's called biblical community. It's called the church. It's called relationship with one another. It's what we're made for and how we're made to live. From the beginning, God created us to live in little communities of people in relationship with one another all the way back to the beginning in the very first few chapters of Genesis. You see this, this kind of repetitive story that happens again. God creates something and then he looks at it and he says, oh, that's good, right? He says, oh, that, man, I got some skills, right? I mean, he's just like, this is a beautiful thing. It's mad. He, he looks, you know, he's looking at sunsets and sunrises. He's looking at animals. He's looking at all these kinds of things and say, man, that is so good. It's good. That is right on. That is everything is as it should be. And then he creates man and he looks at man and he says, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute here. Something is amiss. Something is not right. And he ends up saying this in Genesis chapter 2, right? We're only the second chapter in the Bible. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the Lord God looked at all the, he looked at what he created. And he says, oh no, he says, it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good. Something is not right. Something is incomplete from how it was intended to be. I sometimes wonder if God doesn't take a look at us or take a look at me or in just the busyness of our lives and the way we tend to isolate. If he doesn't look at us and say, you know what? There's so much that's good around you, so much that's good that I created you for, but something is not right in your life because you're living in isolation. You might be surrounded by people, but you're not experiencing the kind of community, the kind of relationship that you're created for. Of course, in the story, God goes on to create someone to be with Adam, right? So he created another human being. And then he looks and says, oh man, this is very, this is as it should be. This is very good. And sometimes we read that and we think, well, see, it's, that's, you know, that's my soulmate. It's because this woman, that's what this, you know, or the man or whatever, this is, this is what this story is about. And, and I do have to say, of course, there is some, some marriage implications or whatever else, but I think there's a broader principle at play here. And it's not just that we're made for a, a man or a woman or whatever else. It's not that. It's that we're created for relationship. It's that none of us are supposed to stay stuck in the isolating and lonely world in which we live. But we're made for more. We're made for deep connection with one another. We are made for community. I think it's easy for us as Americans, particularly in the American church, to to tend to think of community and relationship and stuff like that as sort of a, an added bonus, like a nice little add-on. I mean, yes, really Christianity is about me and Jesus. It's just about a one-on-one -on -one sort of thing. And if I have time, it would be nice to add in a couple little friends and a couple, little bit of Christian community around the edges. But I have to tell you, friends, the early church and the writers of the New Testament did not understand it like that. It was never, it was never intended to me to be me and Jesus. The writers of the New Testament always talk about we and Jesus, right? It's, it's that when we are, when we come to Christ, we are put into a family. We're put into a community of believers and we are intended to thrive there and live in real, healthy, whole relationships with other Christ followers. It's what we're made for, right? It's how we flourish. It's how we come alive in our faith. 
It's how the gospel moves forward. It's how the world will see and know. It's where the good stuff happens in life. It's not good for a man to be alone. They got this. But they, they, they run, understood that a, a central part of their identity, who they were after becoming a Christ follower, is they were not just me and Jesus. They were a part of a community. <laughs> they were intentionally placed into a family called the church. And they understood that is where we thrive. That's where the good stuff happens. Listen to this, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. I'm just going to give you a couple examples. There are tons of them. 1 Peter 2 says, but you are a chosen people. You, all these yous, by the way, are all plural. But you, Christ followers, you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You are a people, a people belonging to God so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, once you were alone, once you were separated, but now you have been brought together. You are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Ephesians 2 is another one. Listen, this is crazy, but Ephesians is a book of the Bible, by the way, that every time you read the word you, with two exceptions, every time you read the word you in the book of Ephesians, it's always plural. It has two references to old, it, where it quotes from the Old Testament, and those two are singular. Every other you in the book is plural because it's written about community. It's written about people. You go through the book and you start reading. It's talking about how to live in right relationship with each other. It's all about you. But listen, to this. these, are, of course, are all plural. Consequently, you, plural, are no longer foreigners. You're no longer aliens. You're no longer outsiders. But you are fellow citizens with God's people. You are members of God's own household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in, him, and in him, you, plural two, are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives in you, plural, by his spirit, right? The fundamental understanding of the New Testament church, of the writers of scripture, is that we are the people of God. It's who we are. It's how we're meant to live. We are God's community. God saved us, partially at least, so that we could become and live as part of his family, the New Testament church understood that if you were a Christ follower, you were a part of the family. You were a part of this community. You lived your life from that point forward in close community and relationships with other Christ followers, learning to love and serve and be devoted to one another. They open up the doors of relationship. They open up the doors of their houses to one another, their apartments to one another where they lived, and they lived their lives in community. When you isolate you stagnate spiritually. You gravitate away from God and you relegate yourself to a life of loneliness. But when you incorporate community into your life, you elevate your walk with God. You start gravitating towards other Christ, other Christ followers and, more like, and you become more like Christ. You insulate yourself from loneliness and you propagate the love of Jesus and the name of Jesus to a world that desperately needs him. I know that was a lot. So in short, let me just put it this way. When I isolate, say when I isolate, when I, isolate I, stagnate. I stagnate. But when I incorporate others, I elevate my walk with God. You and I are meant to be a part of little groups of believers, little relationships, a, relation, a, a, a people, a family of believers. 
someplace where we can love and be loved, where we can serve and be served, where we can know others and we can open ourselves up to be known by others. Someplace where we can honor one another, serve one another, speak the truth to one another as the Bible talks about it. Where we can help build one another up more and more and more. We're made for community, but you and I have to choose whether or not we will live as a part of that community or if we'll just keep doing life on our own. The choice is up to you. And so we are taking four weeks here as a church doing a series called We Is Greater Than Me, and we're, we're going to push you and encourage you to take some steps to open your heart, to open your life up, to say, you know what, I'm tired of living in isolation. I'm tired of living just with the craziness, the, the hamster wheel effect of my life. And I'm going to choose to slow down a little bit so I can have some space to turn towards others. I can develop some friendships and some brothers, right, some sisters, whatever, some people around me that know me that are that are going to encourage me to become like Christ. That are, that people that are going to love me and point me back to Jesus and speak the truth to me sometimes when I need it and encourage me and build me up and I'm going to do the same to them. We need one another like that. It's, it's the way the early church lived. This is the very first church, the church that Jesus himself started. They got this. I want you to look at this with me. I've, I've read it before, but this is sort of the foundational text for the community, the new church, the, the new people of God. Uh, right after uh, Jesus is, is taken up from us, it, it talks about the new believers, the early Christians, and it says this, they, these early Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. They devoted themselves. What, is, what does the fellowship mean, by the way? What's fellowship? Fellowship. What you say? Fellowship. Fellows in a ship. That's not a bad definition. Fellows in a ship. Fellowship is talking about community, right? It's talking about relationship with one another. Somebody up here said, yeah, it's like hanging out together. It, it is. It's not only that, right? But it's, it is. It's hanging out together with other Christ followers, sharpening each other, loving each other, pointing each other to Jesus, right? Worshiping together, praying together. It's all this kind of stuff. It's fellowship. They were devoted, it says, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everybody was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anybody that had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I just want you to notice real quick the kind of community that, that, the, that these people are experiencing, that the early church was living in. Again, first of all, notice that they were devoted to one another, to the fellowship, to the church, to each other. Yes, they were devoted to the other things too. They were devoted to the teachings of Jesus. They were devoted to right, breaking the bread. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to all these things. But they were also devoted to one another. They were devoted, committed to each other. They were intimately involved in each other's lives. They were eating and they were drinking together in each other's homes on a very, very regular basis. In fact, there's a word that gets used there. What's the word? How often? Every day. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. Every day they broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They were me was this just a Sunday-only kind of occurrence? No, they're saying it was happening all the time, right? People were opening up their homes and others were coming over. They were, they were praying together and meeting together and eating together, doing life together. 
and I love, uh, I'm getting way ahead of myself, but, and then it's almost like in the midst of this kind of incredible community, kinds of community where anytime there was a need, you know, people were taking care of each other back and forth, serving and loving and giving and all this kind of stuff. And then it says almost parenthetically, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Can I just say, and it's no wonder, would you want to be a part of a community like that? Yeah, I would do, right? I mean, who wouldn't? It's contagious. It's the kind of relationship, the kind of community that we are made for. We're not made to live at a distance from others. We're designed to live in in-depth, God-centered community with one another. It's the good stuff. We are made to turn towards each other, to open up our hearts and our homes and our lives to each other. You and I are meant for more. And when we enter into those kinds of relationships, people see Jesus. I'll tell you what, it's amazing. It's an amazing thing, and yet I just keep coming back to you. But do we live that way? Do we live that way? Do we recognize our own need for community? Do we value it enough to make it a priority in our lives, to, to make room for it in our lives? Oftentimes, I have to say, my, myself included, oftentimes we don't. It's so much easier, and it takes so much less just to get by relationally, just to kind of stick to small talk, surface stuff, Facebook stuff, and then kind of move on with our lives as opposed to actually making room in our lives for others, to being devoted to the fellowship, to being devoted and committed to one another. But when we do so, when we just stay on the surface, when we just play at community up here instead of going deep and being committed to one another, we miss out. And so in the time we've got left, I'll quickly, um, I, I just want to look at what happens to what happens in our lives. Can I'm going to give you the sales pitch, okay, from a biblical standpoint. What happens in our lives as we say, you know what, I I'm going to sacrifice some other things. I'm going to say no to some things so that I can embrace and live in real relationship with others. And again, here's the big idea. When I isolate, I stagnate. But when I incorporate others into my life, I elevate my walk with God. I come alive. It's the good stuff. So again, in the time we have left, uh, we're going to look at four things. This is the, kind of the first one. If you jump ahead, I'll put a number by it. But when we start to embrace others and live in community with other Christ followers, when we open up our hearts and our lives and turn towards each other, we elevate our walk with God and we are changed. Let me just read to you from Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. It says this. It's talking about people living in this community, this body of Christ. It's kind of the imagery they're using where each part is a necessary and important part of the family of God. It says, as we lovingly speak the truth in love, we will grow up completely in our relationship to Christ who is the head. He makes the whole body fit together and unites it through the support of every joint. As each and every part does its job, he makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When we get plugged into relationship, when we choose community, we grow up completely, it says, in our relationship with Christ. In fact, God tells us that you and I cannot and will not reach our full potential on our own. It won't happen in isolation. It's not just me and Jesus. It's we and Jesus. We grow up spiritually. Our lives change when we get plugged into a little community where we can share life together, where we are known and can know others. 
It's where life change happens. It's in the context of community. It's one of the reasons that our strategy, part of our strategy as a church is we embrace growth groups. And we say, you know, we think everybody needs a group. We, need, we think everybody needs a group because community, the kind we're talking about, doesn't happen just on Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings are great for seeing the masses, right? And for connecting a little bit with everybody. But when, if we want to go deeper in our relationship with others, it usually happens in a smaller context, a group of, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever other believers. It, it happens with us having people to our house and us getting into other people's houses, right? It happens in smaller kind of context. We believe that's where life change happens. That's what the Bible talks about, right? It's in community, that life change happens, the transformation that we become more like Jesus. When we isolate, we stagnate, but when we incorporate others in our lives, we elevate our walk with God. Second thing, I'll keep, keep moving here. Second one is that we gravitate towards freedom and healing in Christ. I read a book a while ago uh, by Larry Crabb called Connecting. Great book about community. This guy's a Christian counselor, a Christian psychologist or psychiatrist. I always get those confused, but one of those. And uh, he's written a ton of books. He's a big speaker and all these kind of things. He he writes this book called Connecting. And his whole premise for the book is if we were living in the kind of biblical relationships, the kind of community that we're designed for, like we're talking about today, he's like, if, if the church was being the church, he's saying, I'd be out of a job. He, because he believes, and what he'd say is, is that it's in the context of community, like that little groups of believers where there's life happening, real life, right? Where it's in that context where healing happens, where transformation happens, where freedom comes to our lives. Sometimes we need to see Jesus with skin on, right, with one another. And you know what? It's true. I've experienced it in my own life. Uh, when I am experiencing healthy community with God and others, it's those times where I have found freedom and healing from my past. I'm set free. It's why AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, is built around this whole community, this whole group sort of context, because it's in the context of real biblical community that we can walk into freedom. James 5.16 is just one that talks about our says, we're, 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 This is... God's instructions to us. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Would you pray for each other so that you may be healed? Right? It's in the context of relationships. It's not just a me and Jesus. It's a we in Jesus. It's in, the, in that kind of community that healing happens, that growth happens, that we experience freedom and breakthrough in our own lives with God. Third thing, uh, as we step into these kinds of relationships, we generate practical compassion. <laughs> it's, I needed an eight right? that went with a generate. So generate practical compassion. You want to know what that means? It means needs get met, right? P- uh, people that are in need find and are given uh, provision in, in that care. Their needs get met. It's in the context of community, and it happens naturally. As we enter into and start loving other people and knowing other people, you hear what's happening in their lives, and if you, if you have the ability to meet the need around you, why wouldn't you do it, right? If we are loving God and loving others, if we are invested and devoted to one another, of course that kind of stuff is just going to happen. It's just going to happen. Acts 4 talks about this. All the believers were one in heart and mind. Nobody claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared what they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. Listen to this. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them. They brought the money from the sales they put at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anybody that had need. 
can I suggest to you, and I might get myself in trouble, but the Democratic Party is not the originator. I should not be talking now. <laughs> but they are not the originator of caring for others. You know who should be caring for others? The needs of those around us should be the church. If we were doing our job, they wouldn't have to. You hear what I'm saying? We're meant to be part of a community where needs get met, right? Where we care for one another in very practical ways. <coughs> a couple weeks ago in our prayer time, I mentioned that one of our families had, had uh, uh, a need. Both of their vehicles were broken down. It was causing a major amount of stress. And I said, man, if we could just pray that God would, you know, bring healing to vehicles or whatever he does, you know, if he could just sort of take care of that, that's great. And before we were even done, somebody spoke up and said, I have an extra one they can have. And I, 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 I share that because I'm like, how cool is that? Like, isn't that fun? But I, that's what happens in the context of community, right? We're like, hey, if I, if I have something that can help meet your need, you can have it. It's not because it's given to me from God anyway, right? It's all on loan. So God's going to just move some stuff around sometimes. That's great. Wouldn't that be cool? That's the kind of community that we are made to experience. And the fourth one, this. Jump up that next slide. So we generate practical compassion and we propagate or spread or export or whatever the gospel of Jesus Throughout the book of Acts, we get glimpses inside this new community of believers. And it's amazing to see when real relationship amongst Christ followers is going on, people are starving for it. They can recognize it 100 miles away, and God expands his kingdom in the midst of it, right? We, I mentioned this earlier, Acts 2, 42 and 44. They're devoted to one another, right, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And, the, and then he goes on to say, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I've seen this time and time again. When the church, the new community of believers, are the, when they're plugged into relationship with God and they're living in the kind of caring and sharing and loving and serving community with one another, the, the kind of relationships that we're intended to, it is irresistible to those who see it. And people come to Christ. Why? Because they see Jesus in our midst. Because they look at us and they're like, I have seen what relationship is like in the world, and this is something different. This is something better. This is, there's something here that that's otherworldly, something here that reminds me of Jesus. And they respond. When we incorporate real God-honoring community into our lives, the love and the presence and the power of Jesus are seen. They see the real thing, and they respond, and people come to know Jesus. And this shouldn't surprise us. It's exactly what Jesus said would happen, right? In John 13, Jesus is talking to his followers, and he says, a new command I give you. He says, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. He says, by this, by the relationships, by the way you love one another, by this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. By this, all men are going to know that these guys are followers of Jesus because of the way you treat one another, because of the kind of relationship that you experience with one another, because of the way you live as God's people. He says it's in the context of community that people are going to come to know Christ, that they're going to recognize there is a God that is alive and at work in his people, and I want to be a part. I want in. Where do I sign up? community is irresistible. When we live in right relationships with God and with others, we grow spiritually, we find freedom and healing, physical needs get met, people find Christ. It's amazing to be a part of. 
Let me share one more story with you. This is, comes from um, uh, it's an author, historian, Stephen Ambrose, and he talks about the Lewis and Clark expedition and the team as they explored much of the western United States in the early 1800s, and he says this about them. He says teamwork. He says this was a family that had come together and formed a team for the exploration of the continent of North America, and they couldn't have done it if they wouldn't have become a family. Every one of them could recognize a cough in the night and know who it was. Every one of them could hear a footstep in the night and know who it was. They knew who liked salt on their meat and who didn't. They knew who was the best shot in the expedition, who was the fastest runner, and who was the one that could get a fire started on a rainy day. They knew because they had sat around the campfire together. They knew about each other's parents, each other's loved ones, the, their hopes and their dreams. And they had come to love each other to the point where they would gladly sell their own lives to save a comrade. They developed a bond. They had become a band of brothers, and together they were able to accomplish feats that we just stand astonished at today as we look back at them. Ambrose goes on to tell about how these men struggled much of the rest of their lives, always looking back, always longing to be a part of a community like that again, to be a part of a family like that again. For these people, these men and women, it was the best days of their lives. If I can just say that, friends, it's how we're meant to live. That's the kind of community that we're talking about here, the kind of relationships that are meant to be experienced by every follower of Jesus. Community where we know others and are known deeply, where we love others and are loved deeply, where we are safe and cared for, where we serve and are served. Places where we can hear and know the truth about us, where we can be built up and encouraged someplace where we can become who we, who we are always meant to be. But this kind of community doesn't happen, doesn't get experienced from a distance. We have to sit around the campfire together. We have to come to know one another. We have to share life with each other. We have to move closer towards one another. Be, being willing, <coughs> excuse me, that's got to be nice, amplified. <coughs> but being willing to open up our own hearts and lives and share who we really are. <laughs> and not just when we're happy and smiley and everything's going our way, but on the other days too. It's in that kind of context where we can come alive, where we, where we can experience the joy, the thrill of being church together, of living in right relationship with God and others and where we can become who we were always meant to be. But it, but it really, like I've been saying all along, but it really does come down to a choice. It comes down to, will you live in that? Will you prioritize it enough to make some changes? I was thinking this weekend, thinking, you know what it would take? You know, all we would have to do to, to continue living in isolation, all we would have to do to continue with, like, just superficial relationship, you want to know what we'd have to do? Yeah. Nothing. The pace of our culture, the, the kind of world, the way we're connected, enslaved sometimes, right, to these kinds of things right here, will keep us living superficial kinds of relationships with others. Unless, unless we're willing to make some changes. Unless we're willing to sort of push back the pace of culture and create some space and make some intentional choices that says, you know what, I'm going to live differently. 
I'm going to step into a group. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be devoted to that group. I'm going to open up my heart in life and move towards others. I'm going to look for ways to love and serve those around me and go deeper in relationships. I'm not going to settle for superficial. I want to know people, right? I want them to know me. I want brothers, sisters. I want friends, partners. I want to be church like that. I want the good stuff. And I'm not going to settle for anything less. We've tried to put together some practical ways over the next month as we go through the series, some super pragmatic, some super practical ways that we can say, you know what? Take a step, take just one step and, and move towards some others in relationships. Let me give you some examples. Growth groups, I mentioned it earlier. It's a great way to get to know others. And some of you might be like, well, it's too late. They've already started. It's true. But I, I do have to say, we've got some that are just starting now even. If you are interested, you're like, I need a little group of people like this. Why don't you mark it on your communication card, throw it in the offering bucket when it comes by. We'll help you get plugged into a group this week. It's important. It's a, it's a significant way that we can say, you know what, I'm going to show up every week and I'm going to come ready to grow in my walk with God, but I'm going to come ready to grow in my, my, my experience with others too. I'm going to hang out afterwards. I'm going to linger and get to know people. I'm going to follow up during the week. I'm going to invite some people over. We're going we're gonna to move towards community. We've set up desserts uh, over the next month. Uh, we've got three different desserts we're offering in different kind of areas of uh, our region and different nights, different times. And I uh, would encourage you to take a step there. It's a great way. The whole purpose of these desserts is to, for, for you and I to be able to take a step towards others. There's no huge agenda. We're not going to make you do anything too stupid <laughs> or anything. It's pretty safe. It's pretty low key. The whole idea is, hey, let's have some dessert together, some crazy good dessert. And then like, let's just hang out together. Let's just get to know each other. Let's ask some questions and just kind of just be able to connect and have some time to move towards one another in relationship. We're having, we're hosting one. Uh, I think it's maybe three weeks from now, something like that. It's a Friday. You'll see there's sign-up sheets out on the back table or the front table, whatever that is, the table in the lobby. Um, you can find one that, that fits you that, that you can go to. Sign up. I'd encourage you to do that. We're having a cheesecake bar. Uh, I think Melissa's hosting one. I think she's having like a cupcake bar. And I think Mark and Chris are hosting one. I think they're having a donut bar or something. But it's just, it's going to be fun dessert. Just come hang out for maybe hour, hour and a half. Get to know each other. And, uh, and just a way to take a step. There's another... Uh, this one's pretty easy, but Molly mentioned earlier, we've got this wacky bowling thing coming up, right? We, this is like an annual tradition for us. It's a lot of fun. I mean, we, we do uh, one regular game of bowling, then we have a meal together, we have some pizza or whatever, we kind of hang out together, and, uh, and then we'll mix everything up and make you do something wacky so the competitive types don't get too much. <laughs> People that are actually good at bowling don't get too much of an edge, so we'll, we'll make you do some wacky kind of stuff for the second game. But the whole idea of these kinds of events isn't because we think competitive bowling is the name of the game. It's that we want to create opportunities for you to step into community, right? For you to, to prioritize relationship. And I encourage you, show up and be a part. Maybe you want to just do something individually. And maybe you're like, you know what? I'm not like a big group kind of person, or that sounds a little intimidating, or I despise bowling or whatever. If that's not your gig, that's fine. But, but maybe you just want to take the initiative and say, but I do want to invite over one other couple or one other person or maybe one other family. Maybe we can go and grab lunch together after church some week and I can kind of open up my heart. They can open up. We can move towards community. Friends, I don't really care what the step is that you take, but I encourage you, let's be intentional about this thing. Let's not just settle for the crazy speed of life and the kinds of relationships that we have, but let's really start moving 
towards being the church and living in that kind of relationship with others. When we isolate, we stagnate. But when we incorporate others into our lives, we elevate our walk with God, right? We get to see the presence and the power of Jesus impact the world around us. Let's, let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you that you uh, have saved us and called us not just left us on our own, but that you are present, that you uh, come and you call us into your church, into your family, into your people. And Lord, I pray that you just, uh, over these next few weeks, that you would just really move us in that direction as a church and as individuals, that you would move us and develop us into a community of people more and more and more. Forgive us for so often and easily sort of just doing our own thing and just making it all about us. And would you teach us instead to love and to serve and to live open-heartedly, live a life of embrace, live a life as your people, living in right relationship with you and others. May you be glorified. May your kingdom come and your will be done, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.